As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, I'm Tim White, and as always, I'm joined once again in, in the flesh. Uh, my dad, John White, hello. Hi, it's good to be sharing the same room for once. Um, this is a second part, really. This is a continuation of our conversation from last week where we, we dived into the thorny issue of, of suffering. Um, we kind of started by talking about how, contrary to what a lot of people might have been taught in Sunday school, uh, a sense of fragility and, and maybe even brokenness is inherent to the created order. And, and that kind of dependence actually is not a bad thing, but it is Christianity has kind of wrestled with suffering from the very beginning. And then we moved on to talk about how, un- unlike kind of modernist approaches to seeing suffering as a problem that needs to be solved, a kind of authentically Christian understanding is that suffering is a mystery which requires a presence that we most ultimately see in, in the person of Jesus. Uh, and today we wanted to move on to talk about um, some kind of what, in, in the light of that theology of suffering or that ethic of suffering, what, what would uh, more kind of faithful, Christian biblical responses look like um, and and you wanted to start by talking about the kind of practice of godly lament. Yes I, th- I think this is a, a theme which has been increasingly rediscovered in the last um, decade or so uh, because it's it's very noticeable to me that so much about modern Christian worship and I think it's particularly true in evangelical Protestant worship and, and church services it seems to have this very uh, basic, positive, upbeat, celebratory mode. Mm. Um, and at its worst, it seems that the, the, the person leading worship is almost like a, cheer, uh, 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 like a cheerleader, you know. Is everybody praising God this morning? Is everybody <laughs> feeling happy? Uh, I can't hear enough about you. How, how much are we praising God this morning? And, and the whole emphasis is very positive, very upbeat. Um, emphasizing the goodness of God and so on and yet when you turn to the Bible and particularly to the Psalms uh, so much of the Psalms is about pain and suffering and and, and godly people pouring out to God where are you O Lord and and why is the wicked uh, triumphing and so does this seems to be a sort of bit of a mismatch between um, the nature of, of of, of worship as it's expressed, particularly in the Old Testament, and, and this very positive, upbeat uh, theme. I mean, is that something you're aware of? Yeah, definitely. I think I, I would agree with that kind of analysis that, 
you know, I've spent a lot of my time worshipping in kind of what would be described as charismatic evangelical churches. And there is a kind of almost kind of thuddening repetity of some of the some of the worship music that we talk about, which comes back to the, the same themes. And they're good themes to sing about. And there's a really important place for kind of praise uh, and for kind of um, kind of hopeful joyfulness in worship. But it is when you look at the psalm, which are effectively the kind of the songbook of the people of Israel that kind of, you know, give voice to to the emotions that God's people are thinking and, and give language for them to talk to God through poetry and song. It, uh, an astonishingly high percentage of the psalms would could be described as, as psalms of lament. And whereas I'm struggling to think of even maybe one or two contemporary popular worship songs which express similar themes. And I've talked to a number of people who've faced personal tragedy themselves and, and have been so struggling with, with feelings of, of, of loss and, and bereavement and pain and struggle. And then they feel they can't even go to church because it just feels false. You know, they, they can't celebrate with everybody else because that's that's not where they are and and so it just seems wrong that that our corporate worship isn't able to uh, encapsulate this this the experience that which many people are going through and i i think i've been very helped by reading uh, a number of authors writing about the theme of lament and this this idea that that the, the godly lament that the godly people lamenting to God is an important theme of of the scriptures and and lament is is a way of taking pain and suffering seriously instead of saying, "Oh well, praise God anyway uh, no this is this is something to be taken seriously, and it's a kind of a way of taking the brokenness of human experience to God and and asking him and saying where are you demanding an answer um the the person in the in the lamentary is is crying out to God but what instead of just expressing praise they're expressing hurt and confusion and disappointment and even anger and it, it is striking how sometimes um I mean, think of the book of Job as an example, where Job says some very, very harsh things to mm. God. And yet, interestingly, when God appears eventually at the end of the book, he never says to Job, well, you know, I think you, you overdid it a bit there, Job. I mean, you should have turned, you just watched some of your language. He doesn't say that at all. The people who are criticised are Job's so-called comforters. And, and God says, they said of me things that were not true. Mm. So it was the people who were coming up with kind of, explanations for for Job's suffering that God criticizes he doesn't criticize this this expression of, of pain anger and confusion and I think that's a really important point because I think it's it's easy as particularly as kind of like modern evangelicals to read some of the Psalms of Lament or passages in Job and elsewhere in the Old Testament and just to kind of internally wince because it feels scandalous, potentially even blasphemous, to be saying such things to directly to God himself. And there's a sense in which, you're never really taught this from the pulpit, but I think we all often imbibe a sense that like, well, when you go and talk to God, you need to make sure that your theology is all lined up and don't <laughs> accuse him of things that we know Paul says aren't true in Romans and, and you know, don't, you know, so 
And yet so much of the Psalms is David saying, you know, I can't believe that you are making me, you know, your anointed king, suffer worse than anyone else has ever suffered. And we're like, is that actually true, though? I mean, is he really worse than anyone else? And, and it should his status as king really protect him from so? Is that how God works? And, and it's, it's naturally filled with all these questions. And actually, you're, what is striking is that, one, these Psalms are in the Bible, in the canon of Scripture. Uh, endorsed implicitly by Jesus himself when he quotes from elsewhere from the Old Testament but also that, that as there's no there's no sense that God is is upset with David for bringing this raw frankly theologically inaccurate kind of heart cry to him <laughs> no, that's absolutely right but I think what also is true and, and and this is also true in my own experience that is that when you internally have this uh, terrible sense of anguish and loss and despair what you discover the psalms in a new way you discover that these words actually i don't have to try and find my own words to express this because there are godly words here mm-hmm. in scripture and therefore a purpose i can take this psalm and make it my own i can mm-hmm. i can i can say these things to god i can pray this prayer and 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 in in some senses that's what the psalms are for the psalms are to give us godly words that that we can use words which even god has breathed out inspired so that we can use them back to him it's a real gift a kindness i think from the lord to both put these in the bible both because it gives us permission to be raw and honest and, and bring our hurt and our confusion and our pain to God because we see that, you know, David and other figures of the faith did it as well. But it, as you say, it also gives us the language where we might not be able to express it. And, and, and how, as you say, how many times have people throughout the, the millennia recited some of those iconic psalms and those iconic lines uh, because it, it touches something of their own hard experience? I think it's a, it's a profound kind of kindness, a gift to God from, uh, from God to us. Yes, and I've just remembered that uh, earlier on in the Ukrainian war, there was a, I think, a video that went the rounds, wasn't it, of of Christians praying one of the Psalms yeah. uh, when they were actually under attack. And um, the line is like, you know, in a city under bombardment, I sought your face or something like that. It was incredibly yeah. apposite. Yeah. So I, I think there is there's some real significance here. And the... This theme of godly lament, it seems almost the high point of the of the personal laments is in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this this sort of excoriating, painful psalm uh, pouring out uh, a sense of, of loss and forsakenness, but then going through this movement. And it, it seems there frequently is a movement in the process of lament. It, it, it starts with us just expressing the pain to God and, and including anger and disappointment. And then it, it moves from that place. It, it, it gradually moves to a place of submission uh, and then ultimately to, to letting go, to, to relinquishment. And um, I, so lament doesn't get stuck. It's sort of... It, it has a movement in it, a, a progress towards ultimately this place of letting go. And I think that's really, uh, really healthy because I think while we'd all recognise that there is something really positive and appropriate about 
allowing yourself to be honest with God and to be raw and emotional and if you're angry be angry perhaps lingering in that place too long can actually kind of lay down kind of emotional spiritual scar tissue on on our wounds and and doesn't actually um lead us towards a place of finding that redemption that we were talking about about last week and so i think as you say it's really clear that there is this transition where a lot of the psalms begin with really angry raw kind of accusation at god uh, and of a real acute suffering but as david or the psalmist whoever has written it talks through talks to God, they almost talk through their emotions and they start to be able to kind of recenter themselves on those timeless truths and they end in a place which is much more accepting, reconciling, um, maybe even kind of that idea we talked about last week about suffering as a as a mystery that can't be solved, but it can be kind of lived through. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think one of the dangers with people who are going through agony and suffering and loss is that you get stuck in this place of despair and hopelessness and and you find it almost impossible to to move on from from that place and um and and therefore i mean there's definitely a place for uh for for expert help in and counseling psychotherapy pastoral care which which can help of someone coming alongside the suffering one and helping them who who is in some way become stuck in this in this in this pit and you know i went through an experience of um intense uh, depression and and uh, had a psychiatric breakdown and um and ended up in in a place of deep despair and hopelessness and it was really the love of others and then expert psychiatric and psychotherapeutic help which was able to to help me to move on and and to find uh healing a gradual process of healing but and for me i think a lot of the reason why i've i've reflected more about suffering and read around it and and tried to think about it is not only my experience as a as a doctor and a pediatrician but also from my own experience of suffering has enabled me to to think more deeply about that experience. And I think this process of using lament is, is, a, is a way of, uh, of moving on. And I, th- I think we see it most clearly in the, in the prayer of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. where Jesus himself, you know, here is God in human form, and yet he himself is is taking on the role of the sufferer and um he he cries out to god uh if it's possible let this cup if it's possible uh, take this away uh, but ultimately there's this wonderful prayer nevertheless not my will but yours be done and it does seem to me that that gethsemane prayer is in some way the key that unlocks the prison of suffering. If, if I'm able genuinely to say that, nevertheless, let your will be done, uh, then, then it becomes possible for God through the Spirit to redeem gradually, to bring blessing and healing out of this experience.
Does that mean accepting that it was God's will for the suffering to happen in the first place? Or is that, or can we hold a tension between saying, I'm going to hand over to God, I'm going to move from lament to kind of relinquishment and submission, but at the same time, I refuse to believe that the same Father God uh, really wanted this awful thing to happen to me. Well, that's why it's so important to have the first part of that phrase, suffering is a mystery. Um, you know, I, I think there's a great tendency for us to want to know everything, to want to understand everything. And, and, to, and there's a great temptation when we're trying to help someone else. It's almost like this is overwhelming temptation to say, well, can't you see that God was doing this? God was helping you to understand. Can't you see that? Um, and yet, of course, we have no right to say that. I don't know what ultimately why I went through these deep waters of suffering. I don't know why many of the people I've tried to help go through their own painful places. Uh, it's ultimately a mystery. Um, but what I do believe uh, is that there is nothing that can happen, nothing however evil, however apparently uh, capricious and meaningless and pointless and cruel. There's nothing which cannot in some sense be transformed by God's grace into blessing and healing. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. There was another line I wanted to include before we moved on from the idea of lament, which which you mentioned earlier, which was really, really fascinating and quite profound to me, which is that practicing lament ultimately is is holding God to account in the light of his character as revealed in Scripture and in the face of, of Jesus, that it's saying you know, if we didn't really believe that God is a good God who loves us, who weeps with us alongside lament, who hates the fact that that people suffer and die, um, we wouldn't bother lamenting to him because he'd be an impassive kind of distant deity who is unmoved by the fact. But, the, but lament effectively is saying, I'm pouring my heart out to God because I believe that God, A, wants to hear and B, that God is moved by what he hears and, and, and suffers with me. That's ab absolutely right. You see, and... and both the kind of Eastern religions, which say ultimately suffering is just illusion, or modern um, physicalism or materialism, which says, well, suffering just happens, you know, bad things happen, you know, get with it, you know, uh, weird things go on in, in someone's brain. So even if you take something terribly evil, like what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, mm. You know, the materialist said, well, you know, Putin's just got a weird kind of connections going on in his brain and he happens to be, you know, and there's soldiers who are doing his commands and people are getting killed and tortured. You know, it just happens. It's that's that's the nature of suffering. And, and Christianity cannot say that. Christianity says, no, um, ultimately, God exists. God is faithful. This is God's universe. And so the lamenter is 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 bringing this to God and saying, how can you allow this to happen, God? How can I learn more about your uh, presence in this situation? And it seems to me that what the miracle of the incarnation and the cross and so on is, is that God doesn't explain the suffering. He enters into it. Mm. And, you know, the 
it's only recently that I've uh, understood more about those terrible words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you know, I've sometimes thought that if we were the writing the Gospels and you know, this was the Son of God and he was dying for our sins and then, you know, we heard these strange words coming from his mouth, we would think maybe we should just airbrush that bit out, you know, because that doesn't seem to quite fit. You know, what is the Son of God doing saying these words? <laughs> but I think what most Bible scholars believe and which seems to make most sense is that Jesus was quite deliberately quoting from Psalm 22. In other words, he is taking these words of the golden lament and he is himself taking them into his own being. In other words, he is quoting Psalm 22 back to God. And so in some extraordinary uh, and mysterious way, God is lamenting to God. God is expressing the pain to God. And so lament has entered into the very heart of the Godhead um, uh, through this extraordinary uh, moment on the cross. Hmm. I mean, I remember reading once that there is a kind of evidence that in the kind of rabbinical tradition of the of the day, there was almost like a kind of thing where you would you would say the first line of a psalm or of a famous passage of of scripture. And because kind of educated people were so drilled in the Torah that simply saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone who heard it would immediately know the rest of Psalm 22 off by heart and know, therefore, that Jesus is not just snipping out one bit of the lament, the start of the lament journey and leaving it there. But he is implicitly saying, I'm going on this journey, which ends at the end of Psalm 22 with with that kind of upward motion of but yet you lord remain the same you know and um you know posterity will serve him and future generations will be told about the lord they will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn he has done it and and the psalmist here is is david again has started in a really dark despairing place and yet through that kind of honest lament ends as we talked about earlier this this motion towards submission and acceptance and and, and placing God back in his rightful place on the throne. And Jesus is really deliberately echoing that movement. Yes. And, and I think it's really important, again, in thinking, you know, taking this full-orbed Christian understanding of suffering, that the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with acceptance. It isn't a kind of stoicism that says, I'm, I just grit my teeth and accept these terrible realities. There's a beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that, that says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross mm. and despised the shame. And so ultimately the final destination of suffering, the final destination of the godly lament is joy. And, um, but that may well be an experience that we're not going to have uh, fully in this life. We can start to experience that. And, and, you know, that has been my own personal testimony that through uh, a period of, uh, of intense internal anguish and confusion and despair and loss, gradually, by God's grace, I have started to experience some of the strange joy that can come through that experience. And in particular, that now that episode that I went through feels like a strange gift that's been given to me 
uh, giving me resources and insights and, and experiences which I can share with others that, that, uh, that, that I can encourage other people who are perhaps going through the intense period of depression and, and suffering that, that this doesn't have to be the end of the story that there is a way forward that God can redeem uh, however tragic and painful the situation is hmm. I've heard similar people I've heard people say similarly when they've had uh, maybe an experience of a bereavement or, or some other kind of extreme and shocking suffering that very much an unwanted gift but in, in some sense once you've gone through it it is uh, in a kind of mysterious dark way a, a blessing um, as well as a, a terrible a terrible loss and I, and I think it's worth noting as you say about that, that we've got a hold before us that kind of hope it's not simply stoicism but, but Christian hope is different to other kind of belief systems which say things are bad now, but in the future, God's going to make or gods will make everything OK. And, and, and it's about um, doing the kind of the rubbish stuff now. So you get good stuff in the future, kind of deferred gratification. Whereas, as we talked about last week, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world was rose again and has triumphed and conquered already. That's already happened. That The victory is secure. It's not some kind of nebulous hope in a kind of worldly sense of hope. We're not hoping that God will, will turn things out in the end and will end suffering once and for all, but we know that he's already done it and we are living in this kind of in-between now and not yet phase while it comes to fruition. But there's no doubt Jesus has already died and rose again and our hope is therefore secure. That's right. And, and this wonderful idea that actually in some sense those celebrations have already started. Mm. The the celebrations of the of the the lamb who has triumphed and if we listen carefully we can hear echoes of that melody we can we can and 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 that melody can penetrate even the most terrible place the place of suffering the deathbed the torture chamber uh, can be penetrated by a melody by a fragrance that is coming from the new heaven and the new earth and and and, and and so this is the re- the realism of Christian hope. It, mm. it, it's rooted in the present. It's rooted in reality, but at the same time, it refuses to despair. It and it it, it holds the the reality and it holds the faithfulness of God, and and this becomes a, I think a daily discipline. I think of practicing. So so perhaps as we come to the end, it's just worth thinking about some practical ways we can learn to be faithful and in resisting evil and despair and depression. Um, and I, I do think that one way is just the practicing godly lament. And we can do this both individually, but also I corporately, I think there is a real place for, mm. um, for, for, for lamenting together. Mm. And maybe a challenge there to the songwriters of the church to kind of take up their pens and and give us words and language set to music that that helps us express some of the things that the psalmists are expressing as well. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just reminded of a conversation I had with a Sri Lankan Christian uh, who years ago was uh, trying to support uh, a Christian church that had been devastated in the civil war and had seen. Uh, people slaughtered terrible disaster and he said he traveled up to the north of the country where the civil war was and he's he met with the church with the survivors of of this massacre that had taken place and he said 
we spent the morning in lament and and we we cried out to god we wept together we we expressed all the loss and and we and we read these psalms of lament and so on and then in the middle of the day we stopped we wiped our tears we had a cup of tea and a meal together and then we in the second half of the day we said right how can we start to rebuild and look towards the future and i was just very struck by that you know it sort of it was it, it was taking it seriously it wasn't pretending that terrible mm. things was happening but it didn't stop there we then said right how can we now praise god and practically uh, make a difference here and now do you have any other um, kind of tips advice and wisdom about about beyond lament other kind of godly ways of responding to suffering i think honesty is is so important one of the things again i found is that uh, when i speak uh, about this kind of topic in public it's quite common for me afterwards people say can i come and talk to you and they it's almost like they want to share a masonic handshake you know? <laughs> and they say not many people know this but actually you know and they then want to share their own experience and and what i found i mean it's wonderful they want to share that with me but i think it's so sad that, that it's often they don't feel that anyone else can they can't talk about it they they have to adopt a kind of facade uh, when they go to church mm. of, of cheerfulness and optimism, which doesn't really reflect the truth. And so I do think this process of honesty, of transparency, of walking openly with one another is, is one of the ways in which we practice resilience to evil. And we can support one another only if we are prepared to be honest. And I think, you know, it maybe doesn't shouldn't have to be like this, but there is a challenge there for particularly Christian leaders to model that and to kind of show their scars first to give permission to the people in churches to to be equally honest with each other um uh, and i'm aware that's an easy thing for me to say but I, I do wonder whether there is a greater need for kind of preachers and leaders and teachers to be more upfront about their own battles and the skeletons in their closet and their kind of triumphs and, and failures um in a way that that creates space for that kind of honesty well, and, and, you know, I can't help thinking about some of the recent scandals, the abuse scandals and so on, where it becomes apparent that the the image that the leader has been presenting mm. from the front has not been the truth and how utterly devastating that is when, when the deceitfulness and the hypocrisy uh, becomes apparent. I think another thing I'd want to talk about would be uh, a, a Christian community, you know, um, and, and particularly the practicing hospitality, about Christian friendship. Um, the more we build up these uh, community links, the more we, we become a resilient fellowship where we can support one another. I think one of the sad things about suffering is it often causes people to withdraw. I mean, I, I'm well aware of that myself, that, that when I'm going through deep waters internally, I think my tendency is to withdraw. And yet I know that actually that's bad. It's bad for me and it's bad for others. I need to practice um, this communal way of, of sharing mm -hmm. uh, together and being able to support one another. Uh, and I suppose finally, I, I I just want to talk again about the this discipline, a daily discipline of Christian hope. It's like every day I have to 
get up and say, I am going to practice the discipline of hope. Yes, it would be possible for me to wallow in all the terrible things. It would be possible for me to fill my mind with despair, with with evil. Uh, but I refuse to do that. I'm going to uh, set my mind on the character of God. I'm going to remind myself of his promises and his nature. I'm going to remind myself of what God has done in my past. And I'm going to try and find a way then of living today in the reality of Christian hope. Yeah, well, I think we'll probably have to draw our conversation to a close there. Um, I hope our kind of conversation reflections were, were interesting and useful to some of you listening. Thanks so much for going on this mini two-part journey with us. Um, potentially more normal service resumes next week or picking up some other issue in ethics and science technology. Um, but um, if you want to, to dig into some of this stuff, I know John's uploaded some things onto his website about suffering and hope, um, which you should check out. That's uh, johnwyatt.com. Um, as always, to get in touch with us, just email molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, but otherwise, um, thanks for listening. Um, we'll speak to you next week. Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.